Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm your Gryffindor host, Ellen, and I'm going to pass it off to your Slytherin host, Katie, to do the rolling rehash. Take it away, Kate. All right, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Last week, we discussed Chapter 2, Aunt Marge's Big Mistake, and its corresponding film scene. Harry is definitely still not a Ravenclaw, but certainly as sassy as ever. Uncle Vernon tries to blackmail Harry into courtesy. Silly bag of assholes. When Ripper comes around, Aunt Petunia discovers something she despises more than Harry. Slapstick smackdowns are the only thing that can tear Dudley away from the telly. And Aunt Marge talks shit, but turns out to just be a bag of hot air. During episode 39, Saspex and the Tweed Bee, our Potter pondering was, in Prisoner of Azkaban, the book, it mentions that Aunt Marge once gave Harry dog biscuits as a Christmas present. This struck Katie as odd and something that could almost, in a weird way, be considered nice, since Marge has so many dogs that she loves. She could have given them the biscuits. So we wanted to know what your thoughts were on her gifting of dog biscuits. As we mentioned in the previous episode, this was probably mostly just us stretching for something to ponder about, since the chapter and film scenes didn't really leave us with much. But we did get some interesting comments back. Alice says she can see where we're coming from, but for a child, that isn't a nice gift. She thinks it could have just been something cheap that she had lying around and that she could grab without putting in any effort. Yeah, Emma agrees with Alice that it was a zero-thought-lying-around gift. Max said that if any family member gave him dog biscuits, regardless of their relationship with dogs, he wouldn't consider it nice in any way. He always assumed that it was just something on hand that she threw in the post. Quincy says that it's almost like she views Harry as a dog, like when she called him a little runt of a boy. So it would make sense that she would give him a dog biscuit and treat him like crap because she views him as the runt of the litter. She probably subconsciously grabbed them, seeing as how she treats him like a dog anyway. That's a really good point. Dave agrees and thinks it could go along with the bitch and the pup comment, too. He thinks it's clear that she thought of them as nothing more than dogs the whole time and not the I love you, you're so cute type of dog. Who's a good boy? Not Harry, not according to Marge. No. Carly said, well, seeing as she gives her clearly favorite human, Dudley, a real present, she thinks that it's a slight to him. She also said that for some reason she remembers seeing Moldy as a descriptor to those dog biscuits, which seems definitely and particularly rude because she looked in her pantry for, like, canned goods and found those and thought it would be funny to give them to Harry. Like, nah. Though she also said that she might be thinking of Uncle Vernon's socks. Ugh. Moldy socks freak me out way more than moldy food. Food sometimes molds. It happens. Why are his socks molding? Because he doesn't clean out his bag of assholes that often? Ugh. (laughs) Dave also shared a story with us about the annual joke gift his ex-father-in-law would give to his eldest daughter. Apparently, it would be a huge, elaborately wrapped box of various layers of boxes in boxes. Paper, duct tape, string, plastic wrap, etc. It would take 45 minutes to open, and then all it would be was a single piece of dog food. 
He said that everyone would pretend to be surprised and find it funny with each new layer, but that really most of them knew how demeaning it was. He said to me it was a perfect expression of what the dad really thought about his daughter, that she was no better than a dog. Yeah, pranked wrapped gifts can be fun. My brother and I used to get each other really good, but there was still always a real present involved after the effort. A single piece of dog food is not worth the effort. Mm -mm. Though, if I'm being honest, neither was the Lee and Rhyme CD my brother wrapped among duct tape and newspaper wrapped bricks one year. I spent 30 minutes unwrapping several bricks before finding the actual newspaper and duct tape wrapped CD. Hashtag why bother? I mean, unless you actually like Leanne Rhymes. I was just very anti-country music at the time. I still am. <laughs> I'd probably still prefer a Leanne Rhymes CD over dog biscuits, though. Especially since I don't have a dog. Though Black Betty Bambalam would probably eat dog biscuits even though she's a cat. Yeah, let's just move on. Thank you for all your input. It is now undoubtedly clear that there was nothing nice about the dog biscuits and that Marge is just a huge tweed bitch. Although, I did say I didn't think she was actually purposely being nice. I thought it was something maybe weird subconscious weirdness. I don't know. Well, now we know she wasn't even accidentally being nice. Yeah, now we know she's just a bitch. Just a tweed bitch. Just a huge tweed bitch. <laughs> Our trivia question last week was, what will 15 sickles get you on the night bus? 11 gets you the ride, 13 gets you hot chocolate, and 15 sickles gets you a hot water bottle and a toothbrush in the color of your choice. I'd want a teal one. Of course you would. It's my favorite color. You think? But congratulations again goes to Dave. He's starting a new streak at two weeks in a row. Claire said that she honestly loves just listening to the color commentary in the episodes about the race for first comment. <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts, too, especially since for this episode, Max was telling me that he was going to stay up late so he could answer it again. Which is until 4 a.m. for him. Right? I told him that wasn't so much staying up as it was just never going to bed. Didn't happen anyway, as he commented. <laughs> LOL, my plan to stay up didn't work. Carly just commented, Damn! And Dave responded to her saying that while he really does want other people to win too, he seems to have a streak going and now he's gotta go for the record. He says he must beat he who must not be named's record. For those of you listening at home, he who must not be named is Quincy. Yep, just named him. Yep. Quincy holds the record at eight weeks straight. It would be pretty incredible if someone does beat it, especially with all of the competition going on now. Definitely. We shall see. Thanks for playing along, though. For now, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 3, The Night Bus, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 3, The Night Bus Harry gets several streets away from the Dursley's house before sitting on a low wall, panting from the effort of dragging his trunk. He is still quite angry with everything that happened. After about ten minutes alone on the dark street, he starts to panic, since he's alone with nowhere to go and has just done serious magic. He's sure he's going to be expelled from Hogwarts for breaking the decree for restriction of underage wizardry, and half expects a ministry official to show up right then. Harry wonders if he's going to be arrested or simply outlawed, and he's even more upset because he has no way to contact his friends for help. He has a little wizard gold in his trunk, but no muggle money to get to London. 
Since he figures he's already expelled, he considers bewitching his trunk to make it feather light and tying it to his broomstick so he can fly to London under his invisibility cloak and get the rest of his money out of Gringotts. His heart is pounding at the idea, but he can't sit there all night. So he opens his trunk to find the cloak. Before he can, he feels a prickling on the back of his neck. Harry lights his wand and holds it up, looking back in a dark alleyway and seeing a huge form with gleaming eyes. He steps backwards and trips over his trunk, landing in the gutter. There's a loud bang and a blinding light, and Harry manages to roll back onto the pavement just in time to avoid being hit by a giant purple triple-decker bus with Night Bus written in gold letters across the windshield. A conductor in a purple uniform steps out and welcomes him to the Night Bus, emergency transportation for the stranded Witcher Wizard. He introduces himself as Stan Shunpike and cuts himself off as he notices Harry on the ground, wondering what he's doing down there. Harry explains that he accidentally fell over and then looks back to the alleyway. Stan wants to know what he's looking at, and Harry tells him he saw a big black thing, like a giant dog. Stan asks about the scar on his head, and Harry says it's nothing. When Stan asks Harry his name, he responds with Neville Longbottom, and then asks about the bus, wanting to know how much it would be to get to London. Stan tells him 11 sickles, but for 13 you get hot chocolate, and for 15 you get a hot water bottle and a toothbrush in the color of your choice. Harry pays him some money and steps on the bus, seeing half a dozen brass beds instead of seats. Stan leads him to a bed up front and introduces who he thinks is Neville Longbottom to the driver, Ernie Prang. They both sit, and Stan tells Ernie to take it away. With another bang, Harry is thrown back onto his bed as the bus takes off. He wonders why muggles don't hear it, and Stan tells them that they don't listen or look properly. Despite regularly driving up on the pavement, the bus never hits anything, with lampposts, mailboxes, and trash cans jumping out of the way as it approaches. They drop off one passenger, Madame Marsh, and continue on their way. Stan opens the Daily Prophet, and Harry sees a large photograph of the man who had been on the Muggle News, Sirius Black. Harry learns that Black is still at large, and very dangerous, as he had murdered 13 people with one curse. Stan tells Harry that Black was a big supporter of you-know-who, and Harry startles him and Ernie by saying, what, Voldemort? Stan can't believe he'd say his name, and Harry apologizes and prompts him to continue the story. From Stan, Harry learns that after little Harry Potter got the better of you-know-who, most of his supporters were gathered up, but not Sirius Black. They eventually cornered him in the middle of a street full of muggles, and Black took out his wand and blasted the street apart, killing a wizard and 12 muggles. Then he just stood there and laughed as the ministry officials showed up and led him away. He was in Azkaban prison until he broke out, and there's never been a breakout before. Ernie shivers and asks Stan to change the subject. Harry is starting to feel even worse, imagining Stan telling everyone the story of Harry Potter blowing up his aunt, trying to make a run for it on the night bus. He wonders if inflating Aunt Marge is bad enough to land him in Azkaban. The night bus rolls on, and eventually Harry is the only passenger left. Stan asks where in London, and he requests to be dropped off at Diagon Alley. When they arrive, Stan helps carry his trunk out, and they are met by the Minister of Magic himself, Cornelius Fudge. Fudge greets Harry by name, and Stan realizes Neville is actually Harry Potter and makes a bit of a scene. Fudge cuts him off to get Harry into the leaky cauldron, 
and they are greeted by Tom, the bartender. Fudge requests a pot of tea and a private parlor to get away from the overly curious Stan and Ernie. He leads Harry to the room and asks him to sit down. He introduces himself and tells Harry that they were all worried about him and glad that he is safe. He offers Harry a plate of crumpets and tells him that two members of the Accidental Magic Reversal Squad have taken care of the incident with Miss Marjorie Dursley, so no harm was done. He also tells Harry that though his aunt and uncle are angry, they have agreed to take him back next summer as long as he stays at Hogwarts for Christmas and Easter. Harry tells Fudge that he always does and never wants to go back to Privet Drive. Fudge is sure he will feel differently when he calms down and goes on to say that they just need to decide what Harry will do for the rest of the summer holidays, suggesting he gets a room at the Leaky Cauldron. Harry is completely shocked that he isn't being punished, and Fudge tells him that they aren't going to punish him for an accident. Harry mentions the letter from the Ministry last year when a house elf smashed the pudding. It said he would be expelled if he did any more magic. Fudge wouldn't quite look Harry in the eyes as he explains that circumstances change and surely he doesn't want to be expelled. Harry says of course he doesn't, and Fudge goes off to see if Tom has a room for him. Harry is sure something odd is going on, especially since the minister himself showed up to meet him. Fudge returns with Tom and tells Harry to stay there and stick to Diagon Alley so they know where he is. He starts to say he better be off, but Harry asks about Black, and Fudge says they are sure to catch him soon. Before he can leave, Harry asks him about signing his Hogsmeade permission form, but Fudge says he can't and thinks it's for the best. He heads off and Tom shows Harry to room number 11. Inside was a comfortable-looking bed, oak furniture, a crackling fire, and Hedwig. Tom chuckles and tells Harry that she is a very smart owl and arrived about five minutes after he did. Then adds on, if there's anything he needs, don't hesitate to ask. Tom bows and leaves Harry alone with Hedwig, amazed that he isn't going to be expelled and gets to spend the next three weeks Dursley free. He leans back on his pillow and immediately falls asleep. The movie starts out with Harry walking away from his aunt and uncle's house, wheeling his trunk behind him. He reaches a playground and sits down on the curb. The street lights above him start to flicker before going out completely. The swings begin to move on their own, followed by the merry-go-round and the seesaw. As Harry is nervously looking over his shoulder at playground equipment, he hears a snap and a rustling sound across the street. He turns forward towards the sound and stands, seeing a large, snarling black dog step out from the trees next to a bench. It barks and Harry backs up, pulls out his wand, and trips over the curb, falling to the pavement right as a honking sound begins to approach. A purple triple-decker bus turns the corner and pulls up next to Harry. A conductor reads a greeting to him, welcoming him to the night bus, emergency transport for the stranded witch or wizard, and introduces himself as Stan Shunpike. He puts the paper away and looks around before noticing Harry on the ground and asking what he's doing down there. Harry tells him he fell over, and Stan wants to know what he fell over for. Harry explains that he didn't do it on purpose, and Stan tells him to come on then. Before getting on the bus, Harry looks around the back of it to see if the dog is still there. Stan looks too, wondering what he's looking at, and Harry says nothing. Stan again tells Harry to come on and goes to get Harry's trunk. Harry steps on the bus as Stan struggles with the trunk, and Harry sees a row of beds with one person sleeping and a large chandelier. Stan moves Harry along and then prints out a slip of paper and hands it to him. As Harry reaches for his money, Stan tells the driver to take it away, Ern. 
and a shrunken head hanging in the window repeats him, adding that it's going to be a bumpy ride. An old man in extremely thick glasses wakes up, takes a bite of a sandwich, and starts driving the bus. The bus takes off, throwing Harry back onto a bed. The beds all start rolling around the bus as Stan asks what he said his name was. Harry responds that he didn't, so Stan asks where he's headed. Harry says, the leaky cauldron, that's in London. Stan laughs and repeats to Ern, who is just driving like a maniac, weaving in and out of traffic. The shrunken head repeats, the leaky cauldron, and then advises, if you have the pea soup, make sure you eat it before it eats you. Harry wonders about the muggles seeing the bus, and Stan tells him that the muggles don't see nothing. The bus takes a hard turn, and the shrunken head warns Ernie of the little old lady at 12 o'clock. Ernie pulls an emergency brake, stopping just inches before a lady crossing the street with her walker, causing Harry to slam face-first into the window. The head begins to count down from ten, down to three and a half, two, one and three quarters, then saying yes as the bus takes off again and throws Harry back onto a bed. Harry regains his balance and notices the picture of a screaming man holding prison numbers on the front page of the Daily Prophet that Stan is reading. He asks Stan who it is, and though Stan is surprised Harry doesn't know, he explains that it is Sirius Black, a murderer who got himself locked up in Azkaban for it. Harry wants to know how he escaped, and Stan tells him that he's the first one who's ever done it. He tells Harry that Black was a big supporter of you-know-who. Sure, he's heard of him. The crazy ride continues on, showing the bus dodging other vehicles before transitioning back to the shrunken head, who warns Ernie about two approaching double-deckers. He says they are getting closer, then are right on top of them. The two buses are driving toward the night bus, merely feet apart from one another, and Ernie again pulls the emergency brake. This time, he also grabs a lever from above and pulls it down. The camera focuses on the shrunken head, who says, Mind your head, as it stretches to be narrower. It cuts to Harry as he and the rest of the bus squeeze together and magically fit between the two double-deckers without even touching them. As the shrunken head asks, why the long faces? The bus makes it all the way through and expands to its normal size as it shoots back to dodging traffic. After another wide turn, the bus pulls on a street and abruptly stops in front of the leaky cauldron, sending Harry flying back into the window and tapping a parked car, setting off the alarm. Tom, the bartender, steps onto the bus and greets Harry as if he has been expecting him. He takes Harry's trunk and leads him into the leaky cauldron, using his wand to turn off the car alarm before closing the door. Once inside the bar, Tom leads him up to a room where Hedwig is waiting for him. Harry is happy to see his owl, and Tom tells him that she's a right smart owl, arriving there just five minutes before he did. A man standing by the window clears his throat and introduces himself as the Minister of Magic. He tells Harry that his uncle's sister was located and the accidental magic reversal department was dispatched immediately. While he explains that she was punctured and her memory was modified, Tom sits Harry down and keeps offering him different things to eat before backing away. Cornelius Fudge finishes, saying she won't remember the incident, so no harm was done, and walks over to join Harry at the table, offering him pea soup. Harry again declines, but then asks the minister to explain why he isn't in trouble, since underage wizards aren't allowed to do magic at home, and he broke the law. Fudge tells him that they don't send people to Azkaban for blowing up their ants, garnering a laugh from Tom. He silences him with a look and continues on to tell Harry that running away, given the state of things, was very irresponsible. Harry isn't sure what he means by the state of things, and Fudge explains that they have a killer on the loose. 
Harry realizes he means Sirius Black, and wonders what he's got to do with him. Fudge quickly says nothing, of course, and tells him that he is safe and tomorrow will be on his way back to Hogwarts. He already had Harry's new school books delivered there and says that Tom will show him to his room. Tom gets Harry's books and pulls Harry out of the chair to take him to his room. Harry calls for Hedwig, but before he leaves, Fudge tells him that it would be best if he didn't wander while he's there. So these sections line up really well, but there were definitely some changes made. Yeah, from book to movie, they actually pretty much start and end with the same points, which seems to happen less than you would think throughout the series. It's also going to get worse to line them up as we keep going on. Oh, yeah. (laughs) By the middle of this story alone, it starts to blur a lot. I was having a really hard time with organizing the film scenes to the chapter to prep for this one. And like I said, it's only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. But at this point, both the book and the film start out with Harry sitting on the side of the road, still upset from what happened, and starting to enter panic mode because he has no idea what he's going to do now. Harry, this is why you don't run away to the park like a six-year-old. Also, why in the hell would you sit on the wet ground like that? Your ass is gonna get wet, you're gonna be uncomfortable, you're probably gonna catch a cold if we're being honest. Like, you got a trunk! Sit on the trunk! What the hell? Come on, dude! Like we said before, Harry is not a Ravenclaw. Really isn't. Though, in the book, he didn't sit on the ground. He sat on a low stone wall, which honestly probably isn't much better. But the book also didn't have him at a playground. Admittedly, I do think that added an interesting visual, plus some creep factor. Oh yeah. It goes right along with the darker tone of the film, with the flickering streetlight and having all the playground equipment start moving on its own, making the eerie creaking sounds. Spooky. The only thing it was missing was some ghostly child laughter. Spookier? No. (laughs) Right? I'd have turned it off at that point. (laughs) You don't like scary movies. No, I do not. But in the book, he was just sitting on the wall trying to figure out what to do. He didn't have any muggle money and figures he's already expelled, so he starts considering doing more magic, thinking he can just bewitch his trunk to make it feather light and then attach it to his broom and fly to London under his invisibility cloak. He gets as far as rummaging through his trunk to find the cloak before being distracted by a prickling on the back of his neck and the feeling that he's being watched. Cue creepy child laughter. Rude. Not okay. (laughs) Not okay with that. No, not at all. Like we already said, in the movie, he is just sitting there on the curb in front of a playground with creepy self-moving equipment and no creepy child laughter. (laughs) He looks over his shoulder at it and then hears a rustling across the street. He turns towards the sound and stands up, seeing a large black dog step out from the trees next to a bench. A bench that Harry could have sat on instead of the wet ground. Right? Also on that topic, everything looks like it's covered in more of a, I don't know, like a slime or a film instead of water. Like it just looked... I think that was just meant to add to the eerie aesthetic. Yeah. This section happens a little differently in the book, though. Harry lights his wand and holds it up to look down a dark alleyway, and he sees a large form with gleaming eyes. Harry pulls out his wand in the movie, too, right after the dog barks. It doesn't bark in the book. Actually, Harry isn't even sure that it's a dog. But in both, he's holding his wand out and backs away, tripping and falling to the ground. In the book, he specifically trips over his trunk. In the film, it was the curb. But either way, he ends up on his ass as the night bus appears. 
The book had Harry land in the gutter when he fell, and he actually had to roll back onto the sidewalk to avoid being hit by the night bus. It wasn't a near miss in the movie. He basically fell onto the sidewalk and the bus arrived with a honk and pulled up to him fairly slowly. But otherwise, I think the appearance of the night bus is really spot on. Yeah, both in how it arrives and how it looks. Mm -hmm. Two appearances. I see this. (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) The book describes it as a purple triple decker bus with night bus written in gold letters across the windshield. The letters are above the windshield in the movie, but otherwise, yes, it's perfect, basically. In both, a conductor by the name of Stan Shunpike greets Harry. I love that in the movie, Stan reads off a script to introduce himself and even points to his name tag when he says his name. I know. (laughs) It's basically word for word to the book, too, though the book doesn't really describe it in a way that makes me think Stan was reading it. But I do really love that touch. Mm -hmm. It's pretty funny. (laughs) In both, Stan sees Harry on the ground and wonders, what you doing down there? (laughs) Again, I think the movie absolutely just nails this. Like, there's something about the whole, what you fell over for conversation that just makes me happy inside every time. And for some reason, I absolutely love the way Daniel Radcliffe delivers the, I didn't do it on purpose line. Like, maybe it's the perfect amount of sass in his voice. Maybe it's the adorable accent. Who knows? Maybe. It's the very hairy, hairy hair. Maybe it's D, all of the above. Yes! I also love the chew doing down there bit. <laughs> it's basically straight from the book and exactly how I read it in my head. Mm-hmm. But it was even better to see it play out in the movie. Oh, for sure. Especially followed up with the chew looking at when Harry tries to look back at the dog. I love the way Stan leans around the bus to look, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. It wasn't quite how it was in the book since the dog was in an alleyway and the bus didn't break the line of sight, but I honestly think the movie did it better. Yeah, it was great. Especially since right after Harry goes to get his trunk and Stan tells him to get on the bus and he'll get it, then does that ridiculous struggle to pick it up. Like comedic gold. Love it. It was a nice addition, Mm -hmm. though not how it happened in the book. In the book, Stan notices Harry's scar and asks, what's that on your head? And Harry just like nervously flattens his very hairy, hairy hair and tells him nothing. (laughs) Because he doesn't want to be identified as Harry Potter, just in case. In the movie, Harry just gets right on the bus without that exchange and is sort of budged along to the front by Stan. In the book, before he even gets on the bus, Stan asks his name, and Harry tells him that it's Neville Longbottom. (laughs) Harry then asks how much it would cost to get to London, and Stan tells him that it is 11 sickles, but for 13, you get hot chocolate. And I'm not gonna lie, because it's spelled F-I-R, teen, I was never sure if he was saying 13 or 14. <laughs> but I ended up deciding that it must be 13 since the next number is 15, and that makes it jump by odd numbers 11, 13, 15. And 15 sickles gets you a hot water bottle and a toothbrush in the color of your choice, which was our trivia question. Yep. Still teal, by the way. Shocking. (laughs) I think it's intriguing that in the movie, they never discuss how much the night bus costs, yet Stan Chunpike hands Harry a receipt. I always got the impression that it was just more of a bill. Because Harry looked like he was about to get money to pay, they just never really followed through with showing him paying. True. Personally, I would have loved to see the whole exchange about the costs. 
I think Lee Ingleby did a fantastic job bringing Stan to life and would have nailed it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. He was great. Honestly, not gonna lie, aside from the cystic acne, Stan Shunpike's hot. Hashtag one night Stan. <laughs> He's no Olive Herwood, but sure, if you say so. I mean, is anybody really Oliver Wood? Aside from Oliver Wood? No. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just a given. But Stan Chumpike's still kind of hot. Just saying. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm weird. <laughs> but yeah, it could have been the bill, and we just didn't see Harry get his money out, since the movie focused more on the night bus ride and comic relief. Stan knocks on the dividing glass and says, Take it away, Anne. Which is very similar to the book. Harry pays, gets on the bus, sees the beds rather than seats, and led up to the front of the bus near Ernie the driver. Stan actually introduces him to Ernie as Neville, and then they both sit and he tells him to take it away, Ern. Movie Ernie was just perfection. (laughs) I love the giant (laughs) glasses and the fact that he was sleeping and Stan had to wake him up. Like, he was exactly the guy I don't want driving my bus, and that's why he was perfect. (laughs) I love the random sandwich bite he takes before the bus drives off. Right? But what the fuck was up with the shrunken head? Like, that made zero sense, sounding like Miss Cleo up in this bitch. Like, what the hell? Seriously? They gave it a Jamaican accent when the practice of head shrinking has only been documented in the northwestern region of the Amazon forest. It makes no sense whatsoever that's what you took away from that (laughs) yes it is it's just like completely inaccurate okay Okay. i guess it was just for the comic relief of the scene but i would have rather had the whole bit with madame marsh needing to be dropped off first because she was experiencing pretty violent motion sickness that at least would have made more sense although i do have to admit I kind of loved his dad jokes. Like the pea soup, why the long faces, and the jabbing muggles with a fork. Like, that was kind of funny. Okay, yeah, he was definitely funny. We should make this our Potter pondering. I'd love to know what our keepers think about it. Works for me. But then, once the bus takes off, it's at this point of the movie that Stan says, What did you say your name was again? But Harry just says, I didn't, instead of lying. Then Stan asks where he's headed, and Harry tells him, The Leaky Cauldron, that's in London. All while he's trying to brace himself on a bed that keeps rolling around. They kind of mock Harry for saying the Leaky Cauldron is in London, and this is where the shrunken head makes the pea soup joke, about eating it before it eats you. In the book, the bus is just weaving around things, driving up on the pavement, and only not hitting them because they magically jump out of the way. Harry asks why the muggles don't see the bus, and Stan tells him that they don't listen or look properly. There's a similar exchange in the movie, too, as the bus is weaving through traffic and taking ridiculously wide, fast turns. But instead of having mailboxes and garbage cans jump out of the way of the bus, the film shows the magic by having the bus need to make a ridiculously fast stop to avoid hitting an old lady crossing the street with a walker. Ernie pulls some kind of magical emergency brake, and the bus just stops like it's nothing, causing Harry to slam into the window. Which did give us a really entertaining smushed face shot. (laughs) Yeah, and then we have the rando shrunken head count backwards from ten until the lady is out of the way, getting it down to three, three and a half, two, one and three quarters, before shooting off like a rocket and again throwing Harry back on the bed. 
But it's at this point that Harry notices the Daily Prophet Stan is reading and sees the picture of Sirius Black on the front page. Which is fairly accurate to the book, aside from the extra added drama. Mm -hmm. He has the prophet after they drop off Madame Marsh, who wasn't mentioned in the film at all. Plus, Mm -hmm. in the book, he already has a very general idea of who Sirius Black is. So when he comments on it, it's to say that he was on the Muggle News. I'm actually really upset that they waited until the night bus to introduce Sirius Black. Because I really loved the idea that he was so feared, they even had to warn the muggle world about him. I know what you mean. I loved the foreshadowing of introducing Black to the story before we, or Harry, even knew he was connected to the magical world. Mm -hmm. So then when he sees that Black is part of the magical world, I think it has a lot more impact. Yeah. And then all the movie gives us about him was that he was a murderer who was locked up in Azkaban and somehow managed to escape when no one has ever done so before. Well, that and he was a supporter of you-know-who. The book gives us all that information and more specific details. We learned that he killed 13 people with one curse. Then when Stan tells Harry that Black was a big supporter of you-know-who, Harry says, what, Voldemort? And just scares the shit out of Stan and Ernie. (laughs) The book says that even Stan's pimples went white, And Ernie jerked the steering wheel so hard that a whole farmhouse had to jump aside. Not that Ernie really needed to be scared to drive like shit, but yeah, none of that was in the movie. But Harry gets Stan talking again, and we also learn that Black was cornered in the middle of a street full of muggles and another wizard. He pulled out his wand and blasted the street apart, killing the other wizard and 12 muggles. Then he just started laughing maniacally the whole time the ministry officials led him away. Yeah, the movie didn't give us any of that either. It chose to spend more time showing us the insanity of the night bus, which, incidentally, I wonder if the night bus comes with like a sleeping spell, because I don't know that I could stay asleep on that while it's moving. At least not without hurling. Seriously, that would be migraine city for me. Mm-hmm. And then probably lead to hurling. Facts. The book doesn't really describe anything else about the bus, just lets us know that the conversation about Sirius Black makes Harry feel worse because now he's worried that he's going to be sent to Azkaban for blowing up Tweed Bitch, and that future Stan will be talking about Harry Potter blowing up his aunt and trying to make a run for it. Well, Harry gives a sad little expression while saying, him I've heard of, after Stan mentions you-know-who, but other than that, it wasn't nearly dramatic enough for the film. They had to again put the emergency brakes to the test, and show the bus's magic by having it drive headlong toward two double-decker buses driving next to each other, and only a few feet apart. The shrunken head is yelling out warnings of their approach, and Ernie slams on the brakes, pulls the emergency brake again, as well as another lever from above his head. The bus and everyone on it basically sucks everything in to make the pants fit, and the night bus magically fits between the two double-deckers. This was a neat shot to watch everything condensed to fit, especially since they left the top of the bus wider where it wasn't squeezing between the two other buses. Even if it was peppered with more dad jokes by the shrunken head. Yeah, he says, mind your head as he first starts to narrow. And then, why the long faces? After they are nearly through. (laughs) I'm sorry, I really like that joke. I don't know why it's so stupid. And then, like any dad, just laughs at his own jokes like they are the funniest thing ever as the bus shoots back out at full speed into the traffic, makes one last insanely wide turn, and stops, throwing Harry into the window again. And tapping a car, setting off the alarm. The slap stickiness of the night bus is 
if we're being honest, pretty cringeworthy. But it's also weirdly enjoyable. Like, I mean, Harry's face hitting the window not once but twice, that was pretty damn funny. I think they had, like, I think, I kind of think they had to throw some slapstick elements in because everything else in this story is so dark that maybe you just had to balance it out with some ridiculous ass comedy. Yeah, I honestly didn't mind the ridiculousness of this scene, though I'm still not sold on the shrunken head. Oh no. I think there was plenty of entertainment without it, even though I am a huge fan of dad jokes. Yeah, there's also a deleted scene where the night bus spins around and around and around and Harry has to hold on to the stripper pole, I mean, the handrail, to avoid going flying. Yeah, nothing so dramatic happened in the book. They dropped everyone else off and finally end up in London to take Harry to Diagon Alley. It rolls to a stop in front of the leaky cauldron, and Stan helps Harry carry his trunk off of the bus, where he is greeted by the Minister of Magic, Cornelius Fudge. In the movie, it's Tom the bartender, looking like the weird-ass love child of Quasimodo and Batboy, who gets on the bus and greets Harry like he was expecting him the whole time. Though he does lead Harry into the leaky cauldron and eventually to the minister. The book does have Tom present in the leaky cauldron. He gets them tea in a private parlor, and also looks like his usual toothless walnut self, and not quasi-bat-boy. <laughs> but not before Fudge completely outs Harry to Stan as being Harry Potter and not Neville Longbottom. Nope. Movie just has quasi-bat-boy lead Harry through the main area of the Leaky Cauldron and up the stairs. Side note, I gotta say, I love the Ian Brown cameo in the Leaky Cauldron. He's the one reading the Stephen Hawking book while stirring his tea wandlessly. I did not know that. That's fun. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting to see. <laughs> and it's things like the magical tea stirring and the wizard cleaning off the tables who makes the wine bottle disappear that really make this so much more magical because it's everyday magic. Like the first two movies, the magic was so in your face. It was just, you know, bam, magic, as we've already discussed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But this one, we're seeing a lot more subdued magic. We're seeing a lot more double takes. Like, you have to look twice at something. Like, wait, did that really just happen? And yeah, it did. And that's fucking awesome. Yeah, I feel like it just immersed you into the magical experience even more. Mm Mm-hmm. But then, of course, Quasi-Bat-Boy leads Harry into a room where Hedwig is waiting for him. Just kind of looking at Harry, like, thanks for nothing, bitch. Take my cage and you leave me to fend for myself. Well, in the book, Harry had sent her to stay with Ron. The movie just gave no explanation to where she was, just had her appear. Because she's smart. Also in the book, Hedwig was waiting in Harry's rented room, not the room he met with Fudge in. And she arrived five minutes after he did, not five minutes before, like they say in the film. But in both the book and the movie... Fudge introduces himself and catches Harry up on what happened. Okay, so according to Cornelius Fudge, Aunt Marge was found just south of Sheffield, which I looked up because I had to. And it's apparently about a three-hour drive away from Surrey, which is where the Dursleys live. It's like 150 miles away. Holy balls, that lady flew. So I had to look this up. And blimps can travel at 35 miles per hour and 50 miles per hour at top speed. The new Goodyear blimp can actually do 73 miles per hour. Fancy. So let's go with 50. That's about three hours of drifting. Seems legit to me. But also, that's not how it happened in the book. (laughs) She was just up on the ceiling. Yeah, well. She never went anywhere. But that's not dramatic enough. No. Two members of the Accidental Magic Reversal Squad were dispatched, and Tweed Bitch was punctured and her memory modified. 
And the movie Fudge specifically says properly punctured. And I gotta wonder what he meant by properly punctured. Like, did they legitimately, like, stick a needle in her? Or did they make her burp, kind of like the fizzy drink in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Or did she just talk herself deflated? <laughs> Didn't they take Violet Beauregard to the juicer? Yeah, she had to be juiced. They, like, literally, squeezed. literally squeezed. Mm-hmm. But Aunt Marge had air, not juice, so I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if they modified her memory before or after she was properly punctured. Because it seems like she'd be easier to manage if they modified her memory first. Oh, for sure. Like, Tweed Bitch would have been a nightmare if they waited until after. But regardless of how they deflated her, in both, Fudge says that she won't remember anything, so no harm was done. In the movie, the entire time he's talking, Quasi Bat Boy keeps trying to offer Harry something to eat. In the book, Tom doesn't stick around. Fudge and Harry are just sitting at a table with tea and crumpets while he explains everything to Harry. In the movie, Fudge does eventually join Harry over by the table Tom sits him at. I do kind of think that it's fun that the shrunken head tells Harry not to have the pea soup and then Fudge offers him pea soup. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly why they did that. Yeah. Just a fun little throwback. Meanwhile, Gollum in the corner is just cracking walnuts with his bare hand. <laughs> yeah, after the incredibly slapsticky night bus scene, I'm not sure why they felt like it was necessary to change Tom's look and turn him into comedic relief. It kind of felt like they couldn't decide what his role was either, because sometimes he seemed like a little golem, and other times he seemed perfectly normal. Yeah, it was a little weird and unnecessary. But in both, Harry is completely shocked that he isn't getting punished. In the movie, he just flat out asks why he isn't in trouble. Not just why he isn't in trouble, he specifically says that underage wizards aren't allowed to use magic at home. <laughs> Which he didn't seem to care about at all in the beginning. <laughs> well, Fudge says the Ministry doesn't send people to Azkaban for blowing up their ants, but they do if you play with your wand under the covers at night, or at least that's how it should have gone. Except that apparently they don't send people to Azkaban for playing with their wand under the covers at night either, since Harry <laughs> didn't get in trouble for that. Also, side note, the laugh that Quasi-Bat Gollum gives after Fudge says they don't send people to Azkaban for blowing up their ants is just way too extra. Right? If I'm honest, it sounded like my husband when he really gets laughing. <laughs> I can't stand- <laughs> Like, it's so- It's so bad. <laughs> but then coming from Quasi-Bat Gollum is even- It's just ridiculous. Ugh, I can't. But then he tells Harry that running away, considering the state of things, was very irresponsible, prompting Harry to ask what he means by the state of things. Fudge explains that there's a murderer on the loose, and Harry says, Sirius Black, you mean, and wonders what's he got to do with me. Nothing, of course. Yeah, good save, Fudge. That was really fucking believable. <laughs> Yeah, in the book, after Harry realizes he won't be getting into any trouble and doesn't have to go back to the Dursleys until next summer, Fudge goes to see if Tom has a room for Harry, leaving him to sit there and wonder about how something odd was going on, especially since the Minister of Magic himself showed up to meet him. Harry figured it wasn't normal for the Minister to get involved in cases of underage magic. But then Fudge comes back telling Harry room 11 is free and asks him to stick to Diagon Alley while he's there so they can keep an eye on him. Before he can leave, Harry brings up Black, not the other way around like in the movie. He also tries to ask Fudge if he'd sign his permission slip to visit Hogsmeade, but Fudge says he can't and that it's for the best. 
He then heads off, and Tom shows Harry to his room. Gotta love Harry's priorities right there. Right. <laughs> In the movie, right after his extremely convincing, nothing, of course, Fudge tells Harry that he's safe, and tomorrow he will be going back to Hogwarts. He also says that he's had Harry's school book sent there. So I gotta wonder, did Fudge buy Harry's books this year? Or did he somehow get into Harry's vault? Or what? Like, how are his school books there already? I have no idea, because in the book, Harry still had three weeks before his return to Hogwarts. And as we'll see in the next chapter, he uses that time to go buy all of his own damn books. Wasn't the most logical of streamlining that they did there. But... Tom grabs Harry's books and basically grabs and shoves Harry out of the chair to lead him to his room. Harry calls for Hedwig, but before he leaves, Fudge tells him that it would be best if he didn't wander while he was there. Where the fuck's he gonna wander, though? He leaves for Hogwarts the next day, for Christ's sake. Right? The sentiment of that comment made a lot more sense in the book when Harry had three weeks to himself to explore Diagon Alley. Definitely. But that's where the movie scene ends. The book chapter takes us all the way to room 11, and this is where Hedwig is, and Tom tells Harry that she arrived five minutes after he did. He also tells Harry to ask if he needs anything, and then leaves him to his room, three weeks of Dursley free freedom, and his relief of not being expelled or arrested. The book chapter ends on Harry flopping back on his pillow and falling asleep without even removing his glasses. This will bring us to our new actors for this section. We already mentioned the hottie, Lee Ingleby as Stan Shunpike. Hashtag one night Stan. Mm-hmm. Which, I think he's awesome. I've seen him in a couple other things. He was in this great show called The A Word. It was really an excellent show. But it was funny because the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, that's Stan Shunpike. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really thought that he brought Stan Shunpike alive. Like, that mm-hmm. is just... 100% how I imagined him when I was reading, especially with the way that she spelled his dialogue. Yeah, it was delivered so perfectly. It was perfect. And like his facial expressions and yeah, he was great. Mm-hmm. We also had Jimmy Gardner as Ernie Prang. Who was perfect. Like we already said, just not who you'd want to be driving your bus. Yeah, which I mean, that mostly goes to wardrobe and makeup but still right it's... the glasses alone yeah like we should be we should probably be talking about ernie pring's glasses yeah because <laughs> that was the role right there and maybe his sandwich right ernie prang starring his sandwich basically <laughs> <laughs> then of course the jamaican shrunken head was voiced by lenny henry he had a wonderful voice but i'm rolling my eyes he did i know i know like for what he was, he did very well, but the character itself was unnecessary. Yeah, right. And I mean, I will legitimately, those lines were even funnier for being in a Jamaican accent, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he were a character in something else and not the Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban night bus scene, I probably would have loved him. Yeah. I just don't see its place in this movie. And I think that's a shame because I think it does him a disservice. Mm-hmm. It really does. If they really wanted to add some humor, I, d- I just don't see why they needed to add it through a Jamaican shrunken head. That seems odd. It doesn't really fit so. in with everything else that's going on. In, it, yeah. in itself, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But we could go on However, about that for a while. So. That's not poor Lenny's fault. No, it is not. 
He was just playing the part. Yes. Lovely voice. Great name. <laughs> Lenny. Mm-hmm. Lenny Henry. <laughs> <laughs> so Jim Tavare replaced Derek Dedman as Tom the bartender. And this changed the aesthetic from Toothless Walnut to Quasi Bat Gollum. But even in, if we remember, even in the movie, he wasn't really Toothless Walnut. Derek Dedman wasn't really, he was just a bartender. I just needed a good descriptor to say that I could say Quasi-Bat Gollum again, because I'm having a really fun time saying that. (laughs) I'm enjoying it. I don't know if this was the director's fault or Jim's fault, but like I was saying, I I couldn't figure out what his character was supposed to be, because sometimes he seemed like he needed to stop eating the paste, and other times he seemed like a perfectly normal human being. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't a cohesive character. It's kind of all over the place. It felt like they were trying to shoehorn in some more comedic relief that didn't fit. Yeah. But again, that's not Jim Tavares' fault. No, of course not. I mean, I have to say, as the only quasi-bat golem I've ever seen, I have to say I think he was the best. The first time I saw promo pictures before the movie came out, I was like, why does that guy look like Bat Boy? Like, that's all I could think of the yeah. whole time. Well, and just... That's fine. If you, I don't know if maybe they had to change actors or what, but considering that he's very specifically described two different times as looking like a toothless walnut mm-hmm. or a gummy walnut, if you're reading the British version, like this couldn't have looked further from that. Yeah. He was all teeth, really. Right. <laughs> at least the first Tom was kind of wrinkly. Yeah. I still wouldn't describe him walnutty, and I'm pretty sure he had teeth too, but. Yeah. I don't think this is his fault, though. I think this is a direction it was a very, costume choice. It was a very odd choice mm-hmm. that was made. And, and then they overplayed it, I think. Yeah, it was a very odd choice, but, I mean, that's what we get for having crazy directors. <laughs> I'm sure Alfonso Cuaron had some kind of vision that he was going for. I'm not sure he, he reached it. I'm Yeah, I'm not sure that he reached it for the viewers. He probably right. reached it for himself. I mean, and that's, right. and that's great. But the problem is, with this being the series that it is, it's going to come under scrutiny just like or, this. Or, I mean, that's you know? fine if they wanted to have that character in there, but maybe don't say he was Tom. Yeah. It was just very odd. It was mm-hmm. a very odd thing. But let's just keep rolling. Let's roll on to Robert Hardy. And he returned as Cornelius Fudge. And was, once again, very fudgy. Yes, he was quite fudgy. Not so much delicious, but definitely fudgy. He just has that very, like, bumbling, but also pompous air about him. Oh, yeah, he's definitely got, like, the I know everything and yet I know nothing kind of feel to him. He plays it very well. Yeah, I think he's a very good fudge. He plays the bumbling politician quite well. We get to see a little bit more of him throughout this film. Mm-hmm. So we'll end up probably talking more about him then as well. Too. Yeah. But yeah, that's all of our new actors and returning actor for this section. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the Potter Ponderings, or Potter Pondering, I should say, which is what is your take on the shrunken head on the night bus? I'm pretty sure I can already guess what a lot of people are going to say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jackson has already completely jumped the gun and made a comment about this when I posted our promo picture for it. So yeah. he is ready to <laughs> discuss this. Ready to discuss. We look forward to hearing about it. Right. <laughs> Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We look forward to reading them. Like I said, this will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from Gloria Rasmussen. Sorry if we mispronounced your last name there. <laughs> 
She's a Gryffindor with an alder wood with a dragon heartstring core wand, 12 and 3 quarters inches, and surprisingly swishy flexibility. And her Patronus, it's a badger. We love badgers. (laughs) Is it weird to be a Gryffindor with a badger Patronus? Actually, my original Patronus was a badger well, and then that I lost that profile because I couldn't remember what email it was and I redid it and it came back a weasel well anyway she writes I was 11 years old when the first Harry Potter came out and got my first book at a scholastic book fair god I loved those mm-hmm. my favorite days it really felt like growing up with him aging at the same rate at least up until Goblet of Fire I read the first four over and over but five six and seven I only read once after they were released until this past month when I did a complete reread. I did not like the dark turn the books took with Harry's misplaced anger and the death of beloved characters, which is why I only reluctantly returned to the later books over a decade later. Hedwig's abrupt loss and Dobby's funeral? Yeah, they definitely get a lot darker as they go on. I bawled like a baby both when Hedwig and Dobby died. I bawled like a baby at half of those. Yeah, Hedwig didn't actually really affect me that much. I feel shitty saying that. I really do. I'm sorry, everybody listening. It didn't get quite as big of a scene. Yeah, I think that was part of it. Part of it was the fact that it was just so fast and done. I never really had a moment of like, oh, Hedwig said, I really, I feel so shitty. (laughs) I'm going to get so much hate for this, but. No, like. I don't even think I could count on both hands the number of times I cried. Yeah. Basically fourth book and on. Yeah. But thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Gloria. We are so glad you're listening. Yes, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story in a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, the wood, core, and length, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. We also have a post pinned at the top of our Facebook page if you just want to share it there instead. And that will bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, George jokes that the ministry loaned cars will have little flags with HB on them for Percy. What does Fred say HB stands for? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag pudding snorts We'll get a bitch is a witch, mafuckers a wizard, a just keep rolling, that's not how it happened in the book, that's not how it happened in the movie, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you are an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you'd like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. Your support helps us create merchandise as well as other content for the podcast and gets you all kinds of extra perks, like being part of the patron-only Facebook page that gives you early access to Potter Ponderings, extra discussions, and sneak peeks at new content. Other perks include 
Just keep rolling swag, getting to name Potterheads a history topics, participating in a monthly virtual hangout with me and Katie, plus even guest hosting an episode and more. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale, including our equality line that we will donate the proceeds from to the Trevor Project and the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 4, The Leaky Cauldron, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. Thank you.